0: Have you ever closed your eyes and tried to walk down the hall? At what point do you feel uncomfortable? You know what I mean, right? You get so many steps in and then you're like, okay, open my eyes. Then do you take a moment to be thankful that you have sight? Or do you feel bad for those who don't? Sarah Minkara doesn't want any pity. She wants you to open up to the abilities of those with disabilities. Sarah is a Lebanese American, Muslim, and first-generation American. Her mission is to help the billion people in the world with disabilities by creating authentic inclusion. And after being nominated by the Biden administration to her latest day job, she's doing just that. You're listening to Traverse Talks. I'm Sue Ann Ramella. You lost your sight at seven. What do you remember about having sight, and what have you gained from being blind?
1: Mm, I love that question. What have I gained from being blind? Um, I mean, I do remember what colors look like. I remember what certain things look like, but from a very faded memory, mm. um, and to be honest, um, you know, over my journey of becoming blind and losing my physical sight, I think, I took an intentional route at some point where I don't focus on experiencing the world through a visual lens but experiencing it through my other lenses and senses and I right now I always say that my blindness has become my biggest blessing and it's because it's allowed me to see the world in in a more authentic way in many ways um, and be more authentic because when I walk down the street I don't know how people are seeing me or looking at me I don't know what you know I I don't see a lot of that and that allows me to be more of my true self my friends are always saying oh Sara like Sara we're in public behave yourself kind of thing (laughs) but you know I myself outside inside this is who I am and um i think that's been a huge blessing and similarly when i meet a person for the first time i can't make a lot of labels and assumptions yes i can hear and that kind of stuff but a lot of the labels from a visual lens i can't interact with and that allows me to if i get to know you i have to ask you who are you and Mm -hmm. tell me more about yourself and that allows me to really look at a person and see a person for who they are. Ah. If I ever do get my physical eyesight back, I hope I can still retain the aspect of delaying and not making a lot of assumptions.
0: Is that a possibility?
1: Who knows with science and medicine, maybe. Um, but you know, I always get that question, do you ever want your eyesight back? Right now I say no. Mm-hmm. It's just become a big part of my identity.
0: You said when you get to know somebody, and you want to get to know them, you ask them about themselves. Sarah, I don't think visual people do that much with each other. Tell me about yourself, because we, we use those assumptions all the time. So what can those who really want to move away from initial labeling of others do to prevent themselves from attaching these labels and stereotypes?
1: I, I mean. A couple of things. One is, and not to say, I just want to make it clear that I do also judge, you know, I'm, I'm human like anyone else. And I do judge through hearing or smell and that kind of stuff. But I think I just don't have the ability to judge through seeing. And I think to, to people in general, I say, I wish it was a switch of a button. I wish we can say, okay, now I don't, I'm not going to judge, but that's not that how it works. It's a journey. It's an everyday kind of making sure we're committing to when I see a person for the first time trying to delay our assumption and have one assumption which is this person has something beautiful to contribute. Mm -hmm. And if we approach every single person with that assumption, the world would be in a better place. We would be in a more inclusive space. But before we actually get to that point of understanding and delaying our assumption, we need to actually understand ourselves and understand how do narratives in society impact how we see ourselves and how we see others.
0: So real self-reflection.
1: Yes, exactly. And I always say self reflection, curiosity, but through a lens of compassion, be compassionate with yourself and ask yourself why Hmm. and understand yourself and try to understand yourself. Because the more that you do, the more you're going to actually then understand how you interact with others.
0: Oh, wow. You're offering up two difficult things, one for people to self examine,
1: (laughs) which could be painful. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I know. <laughs> and then take a breath before putting labels on others. And honestly, it sounds, isn't it funny how some things that sound like difficult work are actually very positive in the long run?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, to your other question, when I do me a person, person I do this actually right now, my work is, I tell them, who are you? But I also put another a constraint. Who are you outside of your work? Mm. You know, because we also anchor ourselves in work, education, and all these other labels. But I just want to get to know who you are. And then people are like, huh, who am I?
0: Yeah. Um, a little bit earlier, you, you described when you're out in public, you don't have to see the looks and stares or you're mm-hmm. not aware of them. Do you do you feel them or because um, I often purposely don't want to stare at somebody wearing a hijab because I don't want to make them uncomfortable. But just like nod and then move, you know, move my eyes somewhere else so they have their privacy.
1: <laughs> so so a couple of things. Um, it's easier for me to wear a hijab because I cannot see. Mm. For two reasons, actually. One is because I cannot see people's facial expressions and body language. And the second also is people interact with my blindness before me being a hijabi woman. How interesting. Yeah, it's very fascinating. So I deal with ableism more than other isms. Um... But again, I think not being able to see, I can't see people's body language and staring and all that kind of stuff. But I also say to that point, we need to have those dialogues and those interactions. It's fine if we feel awkward, but we need to engage. And the more we engage, the more we're able to break down those walls and barriers.
0: Oh, I like that.
1: But yeah, your question. I deal with ableism more than anything else, yeah.
0: <laughs> ableism, that's <laughs> great. And speaking of which, your parents often empowered you when you were growing up. How can other parents empower their children who may have a disability?
1: I think one is trying first not to listen what society's expectation or lack thereof of disability to enter the home hmm. because that in itself is the biggest barrier um, and it's hard sometimes hard for parents to remove that right and trying to create an environment at home that's not based on pity ah. and not based on overprotectiveness but based on, your disability is part of who you are and it's gonna be a strength and you have value. And I see who you are, you belong, you exist, and you have value to contribute. But I'm not gonna tell you what that value is, you're gonna explore who you are. Ooh. And get a big base for their kids to explore their true potential and their true value.
0: Mm. So it sounds to me as if sometimes when we pity others, it comes from our ourselves and our own fears that we may be putting on other people. So as society, it's like they're just afraid of those with disabilities or differences then if they pity them. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. They're afraid. Um, they don't know how maybe, you know, there is this sense of less than as well. You know, mm. I, I don't think anyone is perfect in this world. We're all created perfectly in a perfect way. But you know, some disabilities are more evident and people like like say on that. Um, and I think it's all about the narrative and it's hard for people to turn it into something positive. You know, I have sometimes people talking to me and they're like, oh, differently abled, right? I'm like, no, no, I am a person with a disability. Hmm. That's the reality, I am blind. Don't take that away from me. Don't change that, that's part of who I am. But what I want you to do is just change the way you look at my disability.
0: Hey, I'm Ash, a producer for Traverse Talks with Sue Ann Ramilla. If you like the show, we would love to hear from you. Leave a rating and review wherever you listen. Thank you. Let's talk about ETI, Empowerment Through Integration. Um, Describe your organization to our listener.
1: Yes, so ETI, Empowerment Through Integration, was born out of this realization that most kids with disabilities are a living, a reality, and a narrative of being marginalized and pushed to the side. And the focus was around how do we disrupt that narrative and how do you bring forward a value-based narrative to disability inclusion. And how do you address disability inclusion from an adaptive lens, not a technical lens? And I'll give you an example. You know, it's easy for someone to say, okay, I'm going to give 1 million white canes to 1 million blind kids, right? That's very tangible. And yes, white canes are really, really important for a blind kid, right? Hmm. But the question is, is that going to solve the issue of the problem of them living a full life? No, actually, it's probably going to be put aside if, a, the kid needs to be living in an environment in a narrative that's empowering, that they can be outside with their canes, that they can be educated, that they can be, the bigger issue is how they are seen with their disability. Because we've had, I've seen many parents with kids with disabilities, tell their kids, don't use your white canes because they don't want their kids to be identified as blind because that's their way of showing protection mm. and making sure that they're not being targeted by this ableism, right? So when we want to address disability inclusion, we really need to address the core aspect of the the problem and not just address it from a technical lens.
0: I see. We have to go a bit deeper. And you have some exercises that you help people go through uh, called In the Dark. Can you describe for our listener about that?
1: Um, Yes. So I've developed this kind of methodology, which is, you know when you remove the lens of sight you have a greater vision um because the constraint of not seeing gives you the freedom of seeing more because you're not able to make a lot of labels and assumptions and i think that it goes back to the point i always make it clear that i'm not here to say be blind no if you can see see the beauty in the world if you can hear hear the beauty in the world But how can you be in a space where you can delay your assumptions? Something that we were saying earlier. So the workshop itself, the methodology, when you go through it, you actually, when you go to this place of being constrained, of not seeing, you start learning so much about yourself and how you interact with those labels and assumptions. So after the workshop, the outcome is I know a little bit more now of how I'm interacting with these narratives and labels. And hopefully I can start learning more about how I can Um, understand myself and start delaying these assumptions,
0: if that makes Uh, sense. It does. You know, when I was a child, I would sometimes purposely close my eyes just to see if I could go through my home and what it would be like. And uh, time seemed to slow down for me Mm. (laughs) as I was navigating. But I never (laughs) thought about doing that with others. And in these exercises, are they asking each other questions without ever meeting
1: so I've done it with people that know each other, have met each other before, or they've never met each other before. Um, but yes, they are exercises of questions, starting off with that simple question, introduce yourself without saying your name, where you're from, what work you do in educational background. Mm-hmm. And we dive deep into other, other questions that build on each other. But ultimately, again, even if I know the person in front of me, again, the removing the aspect of the body language and the facial expression, and removing the fact that you can't talk about X, Y, and Z, those aspects gives you the freedom of actually saying more of who you are, seeing more of who you are. It's, it's really beautiful.
0: Wow. So you are the Special Advisor on International Disability Rights Bureau of Democracy, Human Rights and Labor, appointed by Biden in November of 2021. How's that going?
1: um it's going it's um and it's an amazing opportunity um you know an amazing role you know building off of the work of judy human under obama's time and you know being able to work on issues that matter so much and close to my heart um and really advancing the rights of persons with disability but really focusing it from the value-based lens
0: Mm. what have been some challenges as you took on that role
1: Um, Well, one, I'm an entrepreneur, so I've never worked in government. So first, on a personal level, learning how to navigate a new system. Um, Also, really, the the biggest challenge when it comes to disability inclusion and disability conversation is we always look at it from this is the right thing to do. Mm. What I'm trying to have us look at it is that disability inclusion is a value for all. Mm. It's not just the right thing. To do and it's also value for our foreign policy so the more that we mainstream disability into all conversation the more we're able to then really address disability inclusion
0: wow this is reminding me of something in researching you that you were in school and a classmate said they were happy to have you in class because the professor described things differently or better because you were visually impaired. So the value was for their benefit as a seeing person as well. That was wonderful.
1: Yeah, that's a perfect example. Um, that example really can be translated in so many different ways. You know, when the curb cuts were created for our, you know, our streets, it initially was for realtor users, now it's, you know, parents with strollers and the you know, so many different kind of yeah. people use that. Um and for that specific example, for the classroom, I, I was a math major, so professors, when they had me in class, I had to be so much better at teaching and explaining things. And literally, my friends would be like, Sara, which class are you taking? Because you know, <laughs> the professor is so much better at teaching. Again, inclusion <laughs> of all and the value for all.
0: <laughs> inclusion so. and value of all, yes. So you're Lebanese-American um, and you travel, you speak several languages. Of all the places you've been or lived in, What are some differences in the way people with disabilities are treated here versus other communities?
1: So ableism is alive and present in every space. Mm. Some are more subtle and some are more in your face. And I think that what's important and I think what's important in the US is that we have our laws and our policies that protect our rights, the ADA and others. And I think that it's so important for us to have these laws and policies. and so important for us to teach our kids their rights. So that way, when we are moving through the system and we find an obstacle of not getting access to certain things or, you know, you're able to actually advocate for your rights. Mm. Um, and I think that's really important. And that's that's one of the things, you know, in, in, in my role as special advisor is, you know, working with governments across the globe on, you know, helping them, you know, uphold their you know commitments on their disability policy and the CRPD and making sure that these policies are in place and um, because there's power to that. Yeah. But in parallel, I think there needs to also be a bottom-up approach of having changing the narrative on a societal level and a grassroots level and a person level to make sure that people in general see the value and inclusion of persons with disabilities.
0: News happens fast and often here in the Pacific Northwest. Make sure you never miss a news headline by following NWP Broadcasting on Twitter. Classical Music News, More Your Thing? Then follow NWPB's Classical Twitter account by searching for NWPB Classical. Speaking of society and value of those with disabilities, you you have done a lot of work on this. Uh, Speaking of the pandemic, before nobody could work from home, everybody thought you were being lazy and doing your laundry instead. And it was mostly geared toward able-bodied folks. And there's so many ways to work from home, which should allow for more people with disabilities to be employed, but it doesn't seem to be working out that way. Why is that?
1: Oh. <laughs> that is a good question. <laughs> That's a really good question. For COVID, persons with disabilities that wanted to work from home and would, when they would interview and say, actually, can I work from home? And a lot of employers are like, no, you need to come in. They were not willing to, a lot of uh, companies and spaces were not willing to accommodate. COVID happened. It forced companies to rethink how to structure their employment of everyone. And so, of course, everyone worked virtually. persons with disabilities like, we've been telling you forever, why did you not listen to us? And it's because it comes from this aspect of, you're asking for too much, Mm. you're asking for more, you're an add-on, you're not part of, you know, the original system. Hmm. That narrative is still there. So whether pre-COVID or post. Serious, like,
0: hold on, I just need a moment. (laughs) So even though we all proved this can happen for anybody, A person with a disability asks for the same thing, but they're still considered more work to help you work.
1: To give an example, for me as a blind person, when I work virtually, right, I mm. do have actually other way of functioning. Like I, Zoom is more accessible to me than WebEx. Mm. And I would tell, actually, can you please let's do Zoom instead of WebEx because it's, I'm able to navigate Zoom much on my own than WebEx, Right. Well, some companies are like, excuse me, we're going to do Webex no matter what, so you're going to have to figure out how to, how to, you know, deal with Webex, right? I see. So there's different aspects of, you know, what working virtually means for different types of disabilities. But again, that company would say, deal with it, figure it out. I'm not saying that's what happened to me, but I'm just saying, like, they would say, you know, you're going to have to deal with Webex. And because there's still that mindset, you're an add-on, you're not going to change it just for you. So that mindset is still there, so that means for any other aspects coming along, ish- obstacles, they're not going to be like, actually, let's learn our lesson with COVID. Let's try to be inclusive of everyone. Let's let's try to be more flexible if new things come up, right? That's the issue.
0: Yeah. So what advice would you offer someone with a disability who wants to work in a position, but their employer is not being accommodating?
1: Um, well, one, knowing your, your rights, <laughs> um, and I think that's really important. Two, I, I mean, I say most spaces, it's not about wanting to be malicious, right? right. A lot of times it's just you don't know how. Okay. And um, and if you tell them this is what would may be easier for me and can we do this and let's have a conversation, sometimes it will work, sometimes it might not. Um, there's different ways. And I think But what's really important, something to always bring forward and something I've been you know, trying to bring forward even in my new role is aspect of human centric design.
0: Human centric design.
1: So when you are designing um, policies or procedures or whatever, to really create it from a human centric perspective of your employees hmm. and trying to understand the journey mapping of the employees and seeing what their journey looks like. And I think if we instill more of that perspective, whether in our policies or in our programs or procedures or whatever, I think that shifts the mindset that we want to actually include you because you have value.
0: Okay. You're blowing my mind with this idea of an employee's journey, because aren't we really just cogs in a wheel to make a product, Sarah?
1: (sighs) We are. (laughs) I mean, we are We're all all, all working towards for private sector, we call it the bottom line, but you know... An Accenture report came out a few years ago showing that when we are a more inclusive space and we're able to actually employing people with disability actually helps the bottom line. Hmm. Um, And I truly believe when you are able to include a diverse workforce, you're able to bring in more diverse talent and more value, and that is going to help your bottom line. Okay. And I've seen different types of companies where companies that care and create a space that understands their employees and cares are gonna get more out of their employees. And they can also retain their employees. Yes, it might be it might be more costly in the short term or it might be more difficult in the short term to actually be doing that, but a long term gain.
0: I'm a fan of long term gains. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> There's a quote from you, I would just want to read this. You said, because as contradictory as it sounds, actually embracing your authentic self may not come naturally. And before you can lead yourself or anyone or anything else, you must know and embrace who you are. Do you feel like your blindness forced you to do that earlier? Or how was that journey for you?
1: My blindness forced me to deal with it, not deal with it earlier of my blindness, because at some point in my life, at certain points, you know, it was tough being blind. Hmm you know, or, you know, the narrative got to me. And there will be moments where I did take in the ableism narrative in certain ways. Um, there was another there was another part of my mind that was like, No, you're stubborn, you're gonna push forward. But what I'm saying is that, you know, I think it's so important for us to really learn and understand and realize how do these narratives and societies impact how we see ourselves? Yeah, do I love all of who I am? And if not, why not? And how can I turn that identity of mine into something I love? How can I turn my, 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 my blindness, my disability identity from a weakness to a strength?
0: How proud are your parents are of you? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, um, I mean, they are proud. They're probably very proud. But a funny thing is my parents are very, and that's probably what was important this is they kept on pushing us to be our better versions of ourselves or really push us to be pursuing our ambitions and dreams uh, my mom never coddled us right and wasn't like oh, you know and I think that's perfect because to be honest in in a lot of the disability um experiences people disability if they deal with inspiration porn like oh my god you're amazing for getting out of bed kind of thing we uh-huh. call it inspiration so I think it was <laughs> yeah so I think it was so helpful that my mom my parents were very like great. You did that. Great. What else are you going to do next? (laughs) Next.
0: (laughs) Is this, do you think this is a Lebanese cultural thing or or just the way your parents' personality are? It's like you need to perform and you could live on your own. You can do this.
1: I think it's my parents. Mm. I mean, yeah, I think it's my parents and I think it's, um, it really helps us because also my mom never let us say the words. I can't do this because I cannot see. So she never really let us either pity ourselves as well. Mm -hmm. So it was a very like, you know, this is your reality. You're gonna move forward. Wow! So it's all thanks to that.
0: I like that. All right, Sarah. Thank you so much for answering all of my questions.
1: Well, it's so wonderful. Thank you.
0: It was so nice chatting with you. I learned so much.
1: Same here. And hopefully we stay in touch. I mean, we'd love to meet you someday in person. <laughs> that
0: would be lovely. Thank you, Sarah. Have a great day. Me too. Bye. Bye. with Sarah Minkara, Special Advisor on International Disabilities Rights with the Bureau of Democracy, Human Rights, and Labor. She's the founder of Empowerment Through Integration. And I hope that after listening to this conversation with Sarah, you see more of this world. Thank you for listening to Traverse Talks. I'm Sue Ann Ramella.